it just becomes more and more evident that where I'm at and the journey that I am projected to go on could not have happened with all of those failures. They were, I mean, they were learning experiences is what they were. Are you not ready to share with our listeners your new route? (laughs) Because you're not saying it. (laughs) That's for a separate solo episode. Okay. Okay. Well, just a little teaser for everybody listening. Welcome to the Finding Your Shine podcast, hosted by best friends, Nina Boyce and Liz Garster. Enjoy a dose of Monday motivation each week as we interview people lighting up the communities of health and wellness, spirituality, and personal growth. Wherever you are on your journey to health, happiness, and self-love, our real and authentic conversations with guests will keep you inspired and empowered. And keep you laughing too. Thanks for listening. We're honored to join you in finding your shine. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to a new week of the podcast. Today, we're super excited to bring to you Monica Berg, who is an author and the chief communications officer at the Kabbalah Center. Monica is a fresh voice that channels her many years of Kabbalistic study, along with personal life experiences to show individuals how to create a life that not only feels like it's working, but most importantly, a life in which they are living and loving as the powerful, fulfilled person they've always wanted to be. So this episode could not have come at a better time because as we prepare, as you all know, for the Empowered Voice Conference, which is honestly all about busting through fear and learning how to share your voice, Monica came on to give us a huge dose of inspiration um, and confidence that we all Every single person has the ability to live a life that truly, truly is in alignment with who they came here to be. Yeah, I can think of no better recipient for this conversation than me, who is afraid of everything. <laughs> I mean, I'm afraid she of things going, for she sure. Was going fears, and I was like, check. Check on that one. Hate roller coasters. Hate spiders. Yeah, like we go into some fun fears like elevators, roller coasters, airplanes. But then we also go into like some deep combos about like really internal fears and negative self-talk and past um, like experiences and things as you grow up bringing fear from your childhood into adulthood and all of that good stuff. So it's a really, really great episode. Definitely. We know you will love it. And we know that you will also love coming to our event on September 21st, as Nina mentioned, Empowered Voice. Um, We get so excited every time we add something new to the swag bag and we have a new vendor there at our expo hall. Every time we get confirmation on a guest speaking topic, we get pumped. So we hope you will join us. Go to empoweredvoiceconference.com and you can buy your early bird tickets. They only are on sale for another month. So if you're interested, May is the time to secure your ticket before those go up after the 31st. And just remember, again, you can have any sort of platform. You can have no platform at all in the wellness scene if you just want to come to be surrounded by like-minded women and get a ton of inspiration to inspire you towards whatever goal you are trying to pursue. This is the conference for you. So we cannot wait to see you there. Awesome. Well, let's start the process by busting through our fears with Monica Berg. Okay, Monica. Well, thanks for joining us today. We're really excited to have you on and talk about your life experience, your story, um, where you're at in your journey now, and a little more about fear in particular. Um, Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So start off by telling us just a little bit. I mean, I know to sum up your life journey is a a big undertaking, but um, tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got started in this work, what you're doing currently, and a little more about you for our listeners. I started my spiritual journey when I was 17 and I started to ask questions, I think really from an even earlier age, you know, why are we here? What's our purpose? What are we meant to do? I grew up in Beverly Hills. I was born in Thibodeau, Louisiana, lived in New Orleans, had a very happy childhood. Um, I remember having tea parties with God. I felt very spiritual. I felt very connected to something greater than me. And I remember looking around to my parents and my family and nobody seemed to have any answers really like to the big things right so i didn't feel safe and i didn't feel secure i felt loved but i felt misguided so I, there was always that kind of like yearning inside of me then we moved to beverly hills i went to beverly hills high school 
know, the TV show was uh, created, 90210. So I, I saw a lot of very colorful things and I saw a lot of different experiences and I saw people who had extreme wealth and that didn't bring happiness. I saw people who had great opportunities and they didn't take them. I saw a lot of jealousy. I just saw, it was like, I paid attention to all these different things that I hadn't experienced in New Orleans. And, and I thought to myself, you know, if this is it, this is all like, this is the, the means of why we're here, right? To go to school, to get the best job, to become rich, so you can get the best car, get the best house, get married. I mean, is that it? Like, that's our purpose. If that was it, I was really, really not interested. And I was not suicidal, but I was just thinking like this, there has to be more. So when I stumbled upon the wisdom of Kabbalah, which was the spirituality that I was awakened to, things started to make sense. And and I started to get answers to things that I never had answers for before. So then of course life happens to you and you go through different things. And I started to make sense of my own life. And through each experience that I've had, that's been a growing experience and, and usually growth is accompanied by some kind of pain or discomfort. I really look to find the gift in it and the opportunity for growth in it. And I, I fundamentally don't believe that we're meant to suffer. I don't believe that anybody's meant to suffer. So with that consciousness, I started to speak and then I started to write and, and empower people to really live their best, most purposeful life. And one of the biggest hindrances is fear. So that was you know, a, a topic that really excited me, that and relationships. Because when I meet with people, those are the two things that generally come up very often. Wow. I, I really love that story. And I'm actually wondering if you can backtrack a little bit because I had to look up what uh, Kabbalah, is that how you say it? Kabbalah, yes. I had to look that up. I was like, ah, I don't even know what that is. And I want to know the difference between... So what I read, the way that I took it was like I grew up Catholic, for example, and now I feel like I'm a very, very spiritual person who thinks that there are a lot of truths and similarities between all of the religions. And there's like this common spirit or this common source thread that's within all of us. And when I read about Kabbalah, I was like, I wonder if that's kind of what that is. It almost sounded similar to that belief or thought. So can you explain the difference? Is it like a spiritual belief? Is it a religion? How does that work? Well, Kabbalah is an ancient wisdom. So it's, it, very old. It's very, there's many different spiritualities, right? There's always new things coming up. What I love about Kabbalah is that whatever your belief is, I feel like this just gives you the ability to become a better version of yourself, no matter what you believe or what you study. So it's a wisdom that explains the complexities of the material and the non-material world. And for thousands of years, Kabbalists have taught that every human being is born with the potential for greatness. And Kabbalah is a remarkably effective means to activate that potential. So basically, Kabbalah is a verb. It's an, it's an action. It's about transformation. It's about growth. It's about leaving this world different than how you came into it. And there's so many tools and different teachings that enable a person to do that. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. I was going to say, you. what really draws me is, um, I think in a lot of religions, for example, it's like this idea that I don't know, we're like sinners or something like that. And you mentioned, I believe that everybody is here and everybody is here for a purpose and everybody's good. Like light-filled people, that's really truly what I believe. And it sounds like that's what Kabbalah represents. Absolutely. Yeah, I still feel like I'm saying it wrong. Kabbalah, you got it. Okay, I got got it. it. Um, Yeah, I mean, some of the principles, for instance, are, you know, cause and effect are proactive nature versus reactive, the 1% versus the 99%. So what does that all mean? It means that we are responsible for the quality of our lives. And every, every thought that we do, that we have becomes an action, right? And then it, an action becomes a habit. And over time, you start to, we're always changing. So we're either growing forward or we're going backwards. With this wisdom, you're able to look at your whole life and say, okay, if I choose to do this, I can either elevate my spirit, I can connect to that higher part of myself, or I'm going to go in the other direction. And through that process in life, that's how, um, you know, some people uh, are more joyful. They, they manifest their potential. They feel like they're living their purpose because they're connected to something greater than them. Mm, I resonate with this so much. Yeah, it's very interesting. I had 
You'll be embarrassed if I'll t- if I tell you how I know about Kabbalah, so I won't share it. No, share it. I want to know. No, it's well. No, I told you earlier. It's really embarrassing. I said the only reason I've ever heard of it, which I'm sad to say because I resonate with it a lot, is like I think like in the early 2000s. Oh, I know. Like, <laughs> I remember you saying this. Yeah, converted or like became was into Kabbalah, and like I remember it being a big entertainment news. Story. Um, that's well, like it's interesting. I mean, experience. yes, um, <laughs> she is a student. She still studies. But I, mm-hmm. I think that it's like a blessing and a curse because on one hand, people now know that they've heard the word Kabbalah, but right. then they completely don't know what it is, and it's that's understood. That's so that's part of my <laughs> impetus for speaking about it. Really, is mm-hmm. it is a very practical, life changing wisdom, and it can just be a wisdom for some something that's just kind of, you know, they want to study. It could be very scientific. It could be something completely spiritual. It could be something that you practice because you want to keep elevating and growing, right? Across the board, truth is truth. And again, this wisdom is so ancient that that it's, it just offers things that, that it has answers for every single question. Mm-hmm. So what other tools do you use in your own life to you know, break down your fears or your limiting beliefs and really connect to something bigger? Is there very tangible and I don't know, like daily rituals that help you to connect to that feeling? Of removing fear? Yeah, yeah. And just connecting more to, I guess, source or this bigger picture the universe as a whole, all of those things? So the first thing is, one of the principles of Kabbalah is consciousness is everything, right? So what, how you see the world is how you live. So the way that I start my day each morning is I wake up, um, I have coffee, and then I say a prayer and I have like, it's like, and I write a gratitude journal. So it's simply to stop and acknowledge that I'm grateful that I'm given another day that my body's working, that my I can see. Like not to take those things that we all naturally take for granted because our bodies show up for us every single morning, right? And from that space, uh, you kind of start your day with a clean slate and you're able to see the opportunities that come your way and take them instead of being chasing somebody else's desires or thoughts that they have for you, what they think that you should be doing or how you should be living. And fear is a big part of that, right? Because some of us wake up in the morning, we rather do X, Y, and Z, but because we're afraid if we do that, then, you know, we might get fired or we might be judged or, you know, it's not possible. I need to make money. And we get stuck in this rut and we just go on autopilot and it, and it's a recipe for a lot of dissatisfaction. When fear arises, well, I've worked through it and I'll, and you know, so it's different now, but when it would first arise for me, I would always ask myself, what would I do if I wasn't afraid? And then I would go and do that because, you know, then instead of giving energy to all the noise and the negative thoughts, you're actually giving energy to what you desire. This is a concept I think that we've talked about a lot on the podcast it's hard to, for some people, I think, to grasp like, okay, well, if I go and do this, if I just go for it, what if I fail? Or like, what if like logistically, logically, there are these steps that I need to take in order to achieve this? Like, I don't want to be one of those people that's just like, oh, it's going to be taken care of if I take a leap. And so do you have anything, like for somebody that might be listening, um, like that sounds great, but how do I practically do that? But see, I think that those are excuses that we come to the Mm -hmm. table with. So when we fail, because failure is part of learning and part of a process, we say, oh, you know, I, I, that was just a leap of faith. I didn't, I didn't plan it as I should. I think that, and I'm not, I'm not saying that anybody should go, you know, quit their job when they're providing for their family to go chase a dream. I'm saying that we all have you know, what I came to this world to do, only I can do. What you came to this world to do, only you can do, right? We all have something unique to offer that only we can offer. And it's our responsibility to uncover that and decide and find what that is. So I remember, you know, even though I'd started studying so early in life, I, I, and I, I worked for the Kabbalah Center and I was um, in marketing and I just felt like, you know, I have something else to offer. And I was terrified of public speaking, terrified. I mean, you'd never know it today, but I remember the first time I had to give a lecture and I just, I was beside myself. And in the process of, of getting my head and my, my body, mind, spirit, where it needs to be to be able to do it, I also love baking. And I would be in the kitchen and I call this my modest spark. And I would bake, you know, I would change recipes, make them gluten-free and dairy-free and organic to go with how I eat. 
And while I was creating, right, because I enjoyed that creative process, I was also thinking about things I wanted to speak about, ideas, concepts. So I was always working on my true spark. And sure enough, then I, I started speaking and I started writing and traveling and, and, and going around the world doing this. So I'm saying that it's up to all of us to find what it is. And you know when you're doing what you're meant to do because it's something inside of you feels like it's shining. It feels like, wow, this is why I came here. And for those of you listening who have never felt that, it's not because you're not deserving or you just don't have that or you're less than. It's just because you don't believe that you can do it. You know, belief, our belief systems really, you know, and again, fear is a big part of that. That's what gets in our way. I'm interested. I know in your book, you talk some about like the difference between working with fear, like, cause there's, I think I've heard a few different schools of thought. Like I've heard of some people say like, fear is something you work with, fear is something you control, things like that. And you advocate more of fearless. So how would you say those two things are different in your eyes and how do they manifest for each of us? Well, it's so interesting that you bring that up because I, the, the way this book came about, I was in London and I was um, giving a lecture about fear and I was afraid I was going to be late because there, you know, Uber's not a big thing. They're like the, the grid in London, the taxis go to school to study the different roads, like very complicated. So I shouldn't have been ordered an Uber that day, but I did. He was just lost. And I just kept seeing that we were going around the same place and it was raining and I had high heels on and I'm thinking I should just sprint and get to the lecture. But what was funny is while we're sitting there I'm, and, and I'm thinking all of this, I hear the radio and this woman's talking about fear. And she um, is talking about a book that she wrote and different callers are calling in saying, you know, yes, you know, thank you for helping me learn to control my fear, just like you said, or thank you for letting me learn how to live with my fear or cope with it. And I'm like, this is all wrong. This is absolutely all wrong. You don't want to learn to live with it. You want to eradicate it completely. So the way you do that, I've identified three types of fear in my book. There's healthy fear, there's real fear, and there's illogical fear. And this is the first step in really breaking down fear. So healthy fear is the idea that, you know, if you're, if you're hiking, let's say, and you step too close to the ledge, there's something inside of you, your heart beats a little bit that makes you step back, right? Or if you were too close to an open flame, again, you have that feeling where, you know, it's, it's set up for your protection, for your safety. There's the story of Carol Durant in my book also. She was, um, she's from Murray Hill, Utah. And when she was a teenager, she was approached by a police officer in, um, a, in a park and he came to her and he said, you know, your car has been broken into and we've apprehended the suspect and we have some of your items. We come back with me to the police station and see if they're yours. And she had that weird feeling that you can call it intuition, that gut feeling. Again, this is part of healthy fear also. And she asked to see his badge. So he pulled out a badge and he showed her. So she went with him. She was reluctant, but she went along. She got in the car and they start driving down the highway. And she notices that they're going in the opposite direction of the police station. So she starts to get uncomfortable. He grabs while he's driving, he handcuffs her one hand and she's able then to escape and run and they fight outside the car and she's able to get away. So what she discovered later, a few days later, she's reading the paper and she saw that that same day, a woman got raped and killed. And she found out later that this was serial killer, Ted Bundy. Wow. So, oh my gosh. This is like my worst nightmare. That's okay, like well, we're gonna remove the fear. terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> Removing fear, I'm like terrified. I know, I'm like, oh my God. Oh my goodness, ladies. No, the whole point is we are all armed with that powerful intuitive yeah. response. But what happens is more often than not, we shut it down. So, I mean, living here in New York City, you know, I'll go into an elevator and sometimes I, I'm feeling that that person doesn't feel right to me or I feel uncomfortable. I don't go in the elevator then. And normally, mm -hmm. especially women, we're afraid that we'll appear rude or, you know, we don't want to be impolite. So we'll go in and we'll shut off that intuitive feeling we have. Don't ever, that is a healthy fear and that's necessary. Mm -hmm. So the, the next fear is real fear. It's the idea that um, it's based in reality. So uh, fear of death, fear of disease, fear of growing old, all of those things do happen, right? So even with this kind of fear, we can use this as a motivator for, for growth and for connection. So for instance, if we're afraid to lose our loved ones, instead of being afraid of it and ruminating about it and spending time thinking, oh my God, I don't want them to pass. 
be present when you're with them. Spend time and energy showing them how much you love. Tell them how much you love them. Even with that, that can be a motivator for living your best life. So that's a fear I'm okay with also. The last fear is illogical fear. Now, this is the one that is crippling. It's paralyzing. It's the one that we live in most of the time. It's the one that tells us we're not good enough. We're not smart enough. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of heights and spiders and um, rodents. I mean, you name it, right? So that is the fear that we need to remove. And that's the one that really gets in our way. And we can eradicate that completely. Mm, I was just thinking of two different things. The, the third fear, the first thing that came to my mind was Liz, airplanes, Nina, elevators, where it like, <laughs> I ended up going in so many elevators recently because I was in Beverly Hills actually and I had to go up to like the 22nd floor for some, and then I was in New York and I had to go up to like the 21st floor and then Liz like flew to Italy recently. And so I feel like both of us have been like, we have, these aren't real. Like we need to do these things so that we can go to cool places and go see cool things. So that was the first thing that reminded me of. But Well, it's interesting because I, I used to have a fear of elevators too. And really? from a very young age, like age four or five, I actually said to my mother, like, did you lock me up in a box when I was little and I didn't know about it? Yeah. Because I would just get in the elevator. I'd start panicking and sweating. And, and I was fully aware that this is like crazy. It doesn't make totally. sense. But when I decided, and this is before I wrote this book, I decided to, um, we were moving here and I'm like, this you have to in New York. It's just not, I'm not bringing it to New York. Yeah. Because you know, I used to be a marathon runner. I have run like 20 mile runs and then climbed up 20 flights of stairs because I didn't have my cell phone and I did, I was parched and thirsty and I was not going to get stuck in an elevator like that. I've rocked up 20 flights of stairs and high heels also. So I just did 13. Like when I was in New York, I honestly did. I was like, Oh, it's 13. I'll do it. I did it a couple other times, but this time I'm walking. Like I justify it. Oh, but the yeah. thing is, yeah, you're like, okay, this is good for my health. Yeah. Right. Steps. But the truth is, um, consciousness is stronger than anything, right? So you just have to choose where to place your consciousness. For me, it just wasn't an option. I'm not bringing it along with me. And honestly, I'm not afraid. So I, and I have all of these tips in my book. And I even speak about fear of um, flying, which I don't have. But I had a friend who, you know, we were on this very rocky flight from Los Angeles to Las Vegas, 45-minute flight. And she starts cursing and freaking out saying, oh my God, I don't want to die. And I'm like, uh, nobody wants to die. Right? Yeah. So, but there are, there are very practical steps and tools that you can work on that will help you grow your consciousness so you can actually not have these anymore. A thousand percent. Yeah, that's amazing. And well, and like even the fear before that, the second one you were talking about, I can't remember his name offhand. He was like a newscaster that had a panic attack on live TV and now he does Man. mindfulness. Dan someone. Yeah. I forget. Dan. Yeah. Okay. I mean, we can <laughs> we can look it up later and like put in the show notes. But he said like, do you have the, um, what was it called? Real fear? Is that the second one you said? Yes. So I think about that one all the time because when you do, when you are getting scared about something that could potentially happen, I always think to myself like, he mentioned a little bit of fear is okay because you can acknowledge that you have it and then you can make a plan. But the more you keep thinking about it, it's literally just wasting time. Like you can't, it'll never benefit you to keep worrying about these things, even if it's like a real thing that could happen. And so when I start to be fearful, I think about the same thing. I'm like, okay, thank you for being in my head right now. Maybe there's a better course or a plan that I can take. But honestly, if I keep thinking about this, it's just going to be detrimental to my health. So that's been something really helpful for me to just like switch my thoughts. But yeah, I mean, even if we look at the fear of elevators, right? If you break that down, really break it down, and which and I you, have, <laughs> and you say, well, what's contradicting this fear, right? So, like for instance, and I write about this in my book. If I'm going to get stuck in an elevator, um, and my fear is, or was, I would be stuck in there for days, and nobody would know. Well, I actually have people who love me and would notice if I was missing. So that's not real, right? Like it's just you break it down step by step. Mm. I have a, a bottle of water in my bag, and I have my cell phone, and I will be able to call people if I get stuck here. You know, it's not a long weekend. It's a Thursday. I'm not, you know, like, so you just break it down step by step. And then, because I find that whole thing with like, okay, acknowledge a little bit of fear. And that's still a lot of energy. That's a lot of energy mm. that you have to like convince yourself and go back and forth. I'd rather use that energy for things I actually want to create instead of things that I don't want to create. Such a good point. I'm just reflecting on like, at what point, for me, at least when it comes to flying in particular, that real fear and that 
illogical fear gets so blurred because I'm like, well, it's the fear of death. I'm going to die in this plane. <laughs> so I have like a, a line that I have trouble identifying particularly for me when I'm in the moment. Um, but I do have a, like tools that I, I think it's actually a conscious choice that I make not to use those tools, honestly, because I, it's almost like I indulge when I'm in that moment. Like I, I know I, in, for a split second, I think, oh, I could think of these things or I could do this. And I go, no, I want to go here. Why mm. do you want to do that? Yeah, because you're keeping the fear alive. And if you can answer that question for yourself, you're going to be able to get rid of this much sooner. Why what do you is- feel that you need that fear? I have no idea. Maybe it feels like it's such a part of my identity, like I couldn't possibly get on a plane and not hyperventilate. I don't know. Um, I've never, because I know it doesn't serve me in any way. I mean, and it definitely doesn't serve my husband who gets very embarrassed. Well, but the thing is, when we keep around things that we know don't serve us, there it, it is serving in some way. It may not be a positive way, but there is some kind of energy that you're getting from it, which is why you're still keeping it alive. Maybe it's a control thing. I think in my head, which is what my husband said, he's like, Liz, you can't fly this plane. Like you don't know, you're not a pilot. But I think for me, sometimes I think if I'm freaking out about it, there's some level of control. Like if someone's worried about the plane, (laughs) then, then it'll be okay. And that makes no sense. (laughs) But you're participating. Right. In some way. And therefore you feel a sense of control. Obviously this is all an illusion and not real, but that's so what, so if it's control that you're craving, you just need to find a different way to achieve that. Right. Yeah. Like controlling my, my own responses would be a good place to start. Right. Start challenging yourself to enjoy the opportunity. Maybe share with somebody else around you, you know, that that's always a way to get out of a dark space. Always. I noticed, speaking on this subject, Liz, I noticed that um, like when you mentioned, I'm going to New York, I'm not taking this fear with me. You were like very adamant about I'm not doing this. Well, I created that with... I Because my elevator thing just is claustrophobia in general. So when I would get on planes, it's that split second of I can't get out of this plane. Like if I'm here, I'm here, I'm here for five hours. Like there's nothing I can do. Then that thought makes me want to panic. But I was like, but I'm go- I have to get on planes because I'm going all of these places. So when it would start, I was like, I'm not doing this anymore. And I would immediately like, I uh, listening to a very inspiring podcast would help me. Or if I saw myself go down this road, I was like, I literally can't get out of this plane. So I'm le- going to have a panic attack here or I'm going to shift it. But I haven't been able to do it. Um, well, I have done it on elevators, but it's like the thought of the thought of panicking makes me panic in them. So I'm like, what if if I get stuck, I know that I can get out. I know of my cell phone. I know maybe I have water and I'm not going to die, but I just, I don't want to be in it. Like I don't want to be stuck in this box. You know what you can do? Like for me, when I'm on, I don't have a problem with planes. I actually enjoy it. It's like, nobody can interrupt me. Nobody can bother Uh, me. Text me nobody. Writing emails as fast as I can. And then when we land, I'm like, no, I've got 10 more. And then I'm all caught up. Like I don't want to get off the plane. That's but, a, I should reframe that. Yeah, yeah. You can, you, that's my whole point. You need to paint a different picture, right? So instead of, oh my God, I'm on this plane for five hours, I have no control. It's like, wow, I have five hours of uninterrupted time for myself. I can read that book I wanted to read. I can create that outline I wanted to do. I can think of ideas for this podcast, whatever it is. And the same thing on an elevator. Have something in your bag. I mean, you could even look on, on your, your phone, right? And have an assignment always something to occupy your mind in those times where you're afraid that you'll lose control or you're panicked. You just need to redirect. That's all it is. Counting in elevators has helped anyone that's listening. That helps me. (laughs) (laughs) If I know what floor I'm going to, I can watch the numbers and I can count and do the seconds. When I get scared, I need to reflect on the only time that I know I've successfully eradicated a fear 100%. Oh, I know it. Yeah. I used to have a phobia of dogs. Yeah. Um, because I got attacked by a dog when I was three, like a, a Rottweiler, which was much larger than a three-year-old. Um, larger than most like people. a monster. <sighs> so I was very, very scared. I even, I had a dog at home and I was like, from then on, scared of that, even that dog. Well, in college, if you would see a dog, we went to college together, we were freshman year roommates. If she would see a dog immediately, like you would panic. Like it was just like, boom, like set in automatic panic and you would just Mm -hmm. start going the other way. Yep. Yep. And I, I got rid of that fear by getting my own dog as an adult and then like immersing myself in it almost because I could tell like if I went to a dog park, which at one point in time, I remember saying to someone, my 
my hell on earth is a dog park. Like (laughs) all those fears running around. I could, I started to pick up on, okay, this is play. This is aggressive. This is because I never really saw that difference between the two. And now very rarely do I, I mean, now I see dogs and I'm like, come here, like let's snuggle. (laughs) Like you're more likely to see me like (laughs) probably spending too much time on someone's dog than running away from it. So yeah, I have to, I have to put myself back in those situations, I think, when I have these other fears and what I can learn. What I think is really interesting here, I think you were able to overcome that fear because it was too hard to avoid it. You're going to see dogs every day, all day. So you, something inside of your brain, your fight or flight, something's like, okay, we got to get this together because I can't avoid this. This is going to be part of daily life. You can avoid things very often, right? Honestly, you can true. avoid trips. You can delay them. And, and also they're so far away that, okay, I'm flying in five weeks or you know three months. I don't have to deal with this now. So I, I think that you just have to, again, shift your consciousness and say, okay, no, this is not, you know, apply the same, the same approach that you had. Well, and isn't that something to say too, that when you put your mind to it and you're like, well, there's no other way. Like for me, I'm going on planes or like, I'm going to get a dog or whatever it is. I'm going to go in elevators. It's like your mind does shift. So there's something there that always reminds me that you are more powerful than you think. You've done so many things more powerful than you might have perceived possible, but it happens. So then why do we pick and choose, you know, why do we pick and choose where we want to use that power and where we don't? The problem is it's a muscle, right? Consciousness yeah. is a muscle. Certainty is a muscle. And when you don't exercise it daily and often, it's not there when you need it. You don't have that strength that you need. So that's why all of this work needs to be something that you do daily or you have at least an understanding around it. And then when you really need it, when things are difficult, it shows up for you. I see... I see this a lot with uh, the clients that I work with since I focus on anxiety and hormones and it's really related. A lot of people feel like that is just their default. Like negativity is my default. This is how my brain works. I see that you're doing these things or that you're shifting your mind, but that doesn't work for me. And even though I know that's not true, do you believe that it's just some, everybody has to come to that on their own. Like they really do have to do the work and you have to experience it for yourself. I guess the question is, how do you help encourage those people to believe that it is possible? Well, I like to call people out on their stuff. I think that's the first step. Mm -hmm. I think that's self-sabotage at its greatest. And I think it's a cop-out. It's a way of saying, well, you can have this, you can do this, but I can't. Right. And then I, I just tell people, then you're choosing to hug your chaos. You know, you're keeping it alive, just like fear, right? You, nobody gives any of these things that you don't want around anymore, except you, you give it the power. So that has to be taken back. And we're all powerful. We're, we're all more powerful than we even understand. We are able to influence other people, help other people change lives, change our own lives. But it has to be, like you said, it has to be a choice each person makes for themselves. Right. And you lead by example, but also I, I think to challenge that, challenge that way of thinking because it's false. Not to get too um, like specific, but I've also found, um, you know, like when we get placed with a diagnosis of any sort, like you are diagnosed um, with clinical depression or clinical anxiety, that's when I've noticed people, instead of saying like, what's this going to teach me? Or like, what do these struggles that I've been going through, how can I reshape them? How can they be my strength? It's more like, this is what I'm diagnosed with, so I can't, you know? And so have you ever noticed that that I guess it's the same question, but no, have you it's not. Ever- I love this question. I, I love where you're going with this because a few things, there's three things I want to say. I hope I remember all of them. My um, second son was born with Down syndrome and I found out a few hours after he was born and the doctors, you know, a lot of doctors love to be the one to diagnose something. It's like they discovered it. And I remember they came in the hospital room and I had to have an emergency C-section. I was on morphine. I hadn't even realized. And my husband was not even at the hospital. He had gone to get our oldest um, son, who was so excited to meet his brother. And I was in the hospital with my mother. And this doctor that was on call, he wasn't even my pediatrician, came in. He's like, I have to tell you this. And, you know, he just blurted it out. And, you know, after that, you know, you go through stages of grief. I mean, Josh is my greatest blessing, but I absolutely went through the seven, eight stages of grief. And that's a normal human reaction to have to a trauma. 
I have a brother who has severe, severe special needs. So it's, I'm very um, connected to that story because I saw my mom also go through like the same thing. Were so, you older? You're older. Yeah. Yep. I'm older. Um, he has seizure disorder. He's 27, but it's kind of like a two-year-old's mentality. So I've just seen him struggle and struggle with things that, you know, normal. Well, I don't like to use the word normal, but like a typical mm-hmm, child would struggle with. So... Mm-hmm. What no, I struggle with a, a thousand percent. Um, and I and I had said to the doctor, you know, can you wait? My husband's on this. No, I have to tell you this right now. And then after that, because my husband and I, you know, were younger than we were in our late twenties, they got five doctors in a room to tell us because they didn't think we understood, right? And they went on to say all the things that he'd never be able to do, and that he could have a hole in his heart, and he'd never be able to eat salads and this that and that. And I said, you know. I don't really want to hear any of this. And they thought again that we were like in complete denial. And in fact, for the first three years, four or five, actually it's gone on. Whenever they had something negative to say or something he possibly would not be able to do, I said, don't want to hear it. And then when he's hitting all his milestones, like every other child, every typical child would be like, well, how is that? How come he can eat solid foods? Um, and I said, because I didn't know he couldn't. That's- yep. So, and I had it. That gives me goosebumps. My third child, I got pregnant with three months after he was born because again, I wasn't going to give into fear. I knew that I would be so afraid to get pregnant again, carry another child. That fear was like real at that point that my body either, you know, wouldn't be able to get pregnant again or my mind would be so, it just wouldn't happen. So I dove right into it. So everything that my daughter did, you know, he did along with her. And so I have a problem. My point is to get back to the, (laughs) you're saying is that I don't like diagnosis because then they have to have everything that that person has. So a child with Down syndrome, you know, no, he doesn't have a hole in his heart. And in fact, he doesn't have a lot of the things physically that a lot, in fact, he's thriving, right? Or if a person has depression, suddenly you have to have all the things that a person who has depression has. Why? Now, this is my second point, because somebody who is an authority told you. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's the other thing that really I'd like to speak about, because nobody is an authority over you other than you. You are in your body. It's yours. Right. Okay. So this um, is just like my soapbox that I get on all the time. So I'm so thankful that you're talking about it. And I, and I think that when we, when we assign other people to be that for us, we stop connecting to ourselves. We don't have intuition anymore. We don't know what's right for us. We become so needy and independent. And then we're stuck in the state that you had mentioned before, where you think actually, no, nothing can change. You know, I don't believe, I think that if a person, of course, I'm not talking about extreme depression, but if a person is sad and they can't get out of it, well, it's a signal that something needs to change. Our emotions are there and they're set up to teach us something, to show us that there is something fundamental that needs to change in the way that we're living. But it doesn't mean we need to become it. We need to observe it and then rise above it. I think what's really interesting too is remove this from like medical specific. And the same things apply when you just talk about giving other people authority over your life. Like let's say it's not an authority figure, but if you make the public your authority figure and dictate how you're living your life, you have those same issues come up when you let other people dictate your life for you. Like a parent or just society in general. Like yeah, this is how yeah. this is how my culture is doing it or this is how society is doing it. This is what my mom thinks I should do. So that's how I should do it. And you like, yeah, you really do block yourself from your potential. And, you know, I think the first place to start, I always tell people this because a lot of people come and they're like, you know, you know, my mother-in-law said I should do this or my sister, my mother, whatever it is. And I stop and say, well, are they role models for you? Like, do you really appreciate, no judgment, but it's, the way they're living their lives, is that what you want to model? Because if yes, great, take their advice, mirror them. But if not, I would look around to people that you really are, you aspire to be like and follow that model. But at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself your, the question, does this work for me? Do I believe it to be true for me? And that's in everything. You know, Even when you get feedback, we get feedback all the time from so many external things from everything, from what we read to what we watch to where we work, from people we work out with. And you're constantly getting that feedback. And yeah, you want to look at it, you want to observe it, but you don't have to take it in as truth. Ask yourself the question, does this feel authentic to you? You won't be able to do that again if you've been assigning people your whole life to be the authority over you. I want to just go back really quickly. Something you mentioned with your son, how do you take the information that you need And how do you, so yeah, like, and then discard the rest where you're like, this is not going to be helpful. Was that hard to find the balance of like, I do need this information to help me down this new path, but this information is not going to be helpful. Was it hard for you to divide between the two? 
So there's a difference between the two. And I think that's what we need to identify. That's the first step that there are people who can help him, right? He had all kinds of therapy when he was little, um, occupational therapy, physical therapy, long list, speech therapy. So I wanted their help in, and I wanted their assistance in that. I did not want their opinions of what he would and would be able to do or not do because that was limiting, right? And how do they know? They don't know. Josh, the person, Josh is not a diagnosis. So I think that's the big fundamental difference. Have you seen Heal on Netflix by chance? Mm-mm. Liz, no. have you seen it yet? I did. Yeah. yeah so that reminds me of at like even further down the line, like you want to know the knowledge you can to give yourself assistance. But if you honestly place like restrictions on yourself, your mind is like focuses on the negative. So it's like, it's going to go there. It's going to go there. But if that's not there, I think some people might call that ignorance, but I don't see that as ignorance. I see that as like, supporting yourself and believing in like this innate wisdom of your own body and your own potential. I think we want to be informed for sure. But at the end of the day, and that's, this is the hard part for people. And again, if you don't have that muscle and you haven't worked towards that, it's, it really feels impossible. You can be informed and then you can choose to uh, what you let in and what you don't let in, right? I can read a lot of things about different things and you stop say, wait, is this true for me? And if it is, then what can I do about changing that situation or that circumstance? We are powerful, right? So it's all the things we've been talking to up until now. They are all there to come and support you and you need all of the pieces. I think that we should have information. I think you should learn everything about everything and not be afraid to have information. People sometimes don't want information because they feel like, oh, once they have it, they have to do it or they have to abide by it because they don't feel strong within themselves. So what are some practical tools then? Um, I'm sure these are in your book. So give us what you want to give us and then we can always go to the book. But do you have any uh, really simple tools that we can start applying to our lives really quickly to shift that thought process and to get into our own power and bust through some of these fears? Well, again, the first thing is when it arises, first, fear is not an option. If it's not an option, your brain is going to seek out other things that are an option. So that's first and foremost. And then it's understanding that fear does nothing to solve a situation. It just feeds an already chaotic situation. So again, you just logically go to that space in your mind. And, and I think that you know the biggest thing is that for me, it's always, I rather the fear of discipline than the fear of regret. So discipline seems hard. And again, it's effort. But when you don't live the life that you want to live, or you don't follow the dreams that you want, because of fear, then 20 years down the line, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, you know, look back and say, wow, I wish I would have done that, right? So that, that should be the biggest motivator, I think. And it's not that big. Fear is just as big as we let it be. Um, it's just, it's completely just something that's in our way that we put there by design because we're, you know, again, belief systems or we're, we're not we're, we don't want to be rejected. We're afraid of failure. It's all those things that we're trying to avoid, those emotions. But you need those experiences, but you don't have to become them. You know, I, there, I got news the other day about something and I said, well, that's not how I want it to turn out. And it's just enough, another opportunity for me to try harder. But most people would see that as a failure. No, it's just like, okay, that was a no. I'm going to get a yes. I'm just going to try harder to get it. Yeah. Failure doesn't, isn't bad. It's just another way to route where you want to go. Failure is necessary. You will never master anything unless you fail and try again. I think recently that's been a big takeaway for both of us, Nina. I feel like, I know me in particular, I don't know if you've felt recent growth in this, but I've looked back lately, I've had a bunch of shifts and I've looked back and thought like, oh, is it a mistake to do this or a mistake to do that? And it just becomes more and more evident that where I'm at and the journey that I am projected to go on could not have happened with all of those failures. They were, I mean, they were learning experiences is what they were. Are you not ready to share with our listeners your new route? Because <laughs> you're not saying it. <laughs> That's for a separate solo episode. Okay. Nah. Okay. Well, just a <laughs> little other, teaser for everybody listening. And, and the other thing too is, you know, I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes when you look at people who are a lot older and they're very set in their ways, right? And they're more fear-based, right? We, we, we tend to gather and collect fears as we go through life. And the question I get asked a lot is, okay, so are you saying you have no fear now? You've written this book and you speak about being fearless. And I am human, so we're all going to have places that scare us and things that create fear. But I've become very skilled at 
finding them before they grow. So for me, as soon as a fear starts to arise, I stop and I force myself to do the thing I'm most afraid of. Like look at it straight in the face and go after it. So one of the stories I tell in my book, I used to be an adrenaline junkie, like love roller coasters. Um, you know, I was the calm, cool, collected person. If, you know, if there was a, a dangerous situation or an emergency, my cousins, you know, if they had a loose tooth, I'd pull it out, love the blood, no problem. <laughs> You're my polar opposite <laughs> in all of those ways. <laughs> and then after Josh was born and my daughter Miriam, my adrenal glands were shot. And I just didn't recognize myself. I mean, the things that used to thrill me terrified me. Uh, I hadn't fully realized that uh, when I decided that it would be a great, fun thing to do to go to an amusement park with the kids and uh, ride a roller coaster. So we're inching up on the first drop, right? And um, there's this bear waving like happily right before you're going to like drop down. And I remember thinking, well, he's supposed to be adorable, but this is the last happy thing I'm ever going to see in my life. And I start to panic. My heart starts beating, my palms are sweating. And I thought that I could just jump off the roller coaster because it was going really slowly at that point and go jump onto the platform with the bear. And when I caught that thought, that was more terrifying than the roller coaster, right? I'm like, oh my God, this sounds crazy. It's a crazy person talking and I'm going to end up on the news in the evening and my family will be embarrassed and horrified. So obviously I rode the roller coaster, but what I forced myself to do that day was ride every single roller coaster in the park. Mm. Because had I not, I would have left that day with a new fear. So it's, it's in those ways, small ways every day, challenge those things that come up that scare you because they're not real. And if you don't, you're going to collect them and you're going to carry them along and you're going to wear them. Yeah, like you just, it takes practice. Like you said, like you just intuitively know, or you've been practicing it for so long. So you're like, I'm going to do this because I know the truth that I will leave with this fear. Um, And exposure is like one of the biggest things just to prove to yourself, like, and tell your brain it's lying by exposing yourself to the fears and realizing you do survive it and you do get through it and you are more powerful after the fact. Right, and you feel better for having done it. Yeah. I, um, just really quickly, like for our listeners, I feel like sometimes people can hear my story with me, either, you know, quitting my job and like doing coaching and all these things. But I mean, Liz knows I used to be like the most fearful, anxious kid ever. And my parents, God bless them. My mom listens to the podcast, but they grew up very fearful too. So like everything I always did, there was so much fear behind it. Like this could go wrong. This could go wrong. Try this. You don't want to move here. You don't want to do this because this could happen. And to them, it was like a way of protecting. It's like, okay, be prepared about these things. And it's also kind of like an Italian culture thing too. It's like, you know, be prepared and do things right and things won't go wrong and you'll be successful. The older I got, and I kind of got away from that and I started taking small little things. It was like, I, I did. I eventually realized things aren't like, I don't have to be afraid anymore. If I just do one step at a time, I'll start building my confidence and I can, I will be absolutely able to do that. So I just think that's really inspiring to anyone who's like in a situation where they're feeling fearful, like just do one little thing and then do it over and over and over again. And then you'll be okay. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up children and parents in that dynamic because one of my favorite quotes um, by James Baldwin, he says, children have never been very good at listening to their elders but they've never failed to imitate them. So, oh, yeah, <laughs> and children aren't born with fear, right? I mean, they learn to walk, they learn to ride a bike, they fall. Um, funnily enough, I was in the car with my youngest the other day and um, it was a song about blood, sweat, and tears. It was this ballerina movie and the, the leap. And uh, she said, mommy, what is, what's blood, sweat, and tears? And I said that, you know, if you're trying to achieve something, no matter what, even if you bleed and you sweat because it's so hard and you cry because you, you fail and you have to try again, it's so difficult, you keep going. And she says to me, what happens if you bleed, sweat, and cry all at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> That's a tough time. <laughs> That's but, a really rough day. <laughs> um, but the thing is, children learn how to handle their fears the way that their parents do, right? Because yeah. they watch them and they look at them and then they model that behavior. Um, so I, I, I'm really proud of you. And I think that's great that you recognize that and you stepped away and said, no, you know what? That's their movie. That's their fear. And they did it from love and they did it away, you know, as a way to protect me, but I don't need that. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that is one of the hardest things because we so want to be part of the tribe and like our family. And especially if you love your family, we all love our family, but you're so close to your family. It's like you don't want to disappoint, but it is okay to go a different route if that's for you. Um, it's necessary to go your own route. It might be the same in the end, but you need to discover it on your own. And I really try to raise my, my kids with that consciousness and that awareness that, you know, of course I have ideas of what I want them all to become, but, but what I express and what I support is to help them discover who they want to be and help them shine their gifts and, you know, just be a vehicle for them to help them do that. Right. I've always been the vehicle. They grew inside my body and, you know, that's the, that, that's the role of a parent, but very often, you know, especially when parents are not living the lives that they wanted or they have regret, they often impose the things they feel like they missed or they should have done on their children. Somebody mentioned, I can't remember who it was, but it was very spiritual thought of like, they're their own person. So it's like, I just, I just have to guide them and lead them. They have their own journey, right? Like you come here with your own purpose. So that's, you're there to be that support for them and the person that they want to become or they came here to become. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, is there any um, last words you want to give our listeners or shout out the book where else they can find you if they're really resonating with this and looking to bust through some of their own fears? Where can they find you? Uh, So I have a website called rethinklife.today. My Instagram is monicaberg74. And I have more books coming out. I like to speak about... um, One of the books is called Change Junkie. And it's about inspiring people to really seek change and become addicted to it because change is inevitable. So if you embrace it, you'll thrive and you'll see how amazing that is. And uh, yeah, I I look forward to um, hopefully doing this with you both again. It's been fun. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, Monica, for coming on. We definitely, every single day, like we were talking about, there are little fears that we can take step to bust through. And that needs to be at the forefront for all of us as we go on our journeys, doing whatever we're really called to do. Um, Think about how you can take those small actions to eliminating that illogical fear and living your best life. And don't forget, one of those small actions can be coming to the Empowered Voice Conference on September 21st. Take that leap, get some inspiration, get some info to really strive you towards those goals. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. Make sure that you follow Monica on social media, check her out on our website and buy that book. I know it is right now on my Amazon wish list, like added to. So we hope you enjoyed the conversation with her and we look forward to a conversation with you next week. We'll talk to you guys soon.